Hey, welcome to the She Heard podcast hosted by author and speaker Laurie Green Westlake. On the She Heard podcast, we cover everything from a woman's role in the church to deep and unexpected dives into your favorite Bible heroes. Laurie's passion is to equip women with courage, boldness, and bravery through biblical study and inspiring narrative. Be sure to check out lauriegreenwestlake.com for additional resources. Welcome to the show. Hello and good day to everyone. I'm so excited to be with you this afternoon on this podcast, or maybe it's evening for you, or maybe it's the wee hours of the night or the wee hours of the early morning. Isn't that the great thing about a podcast is that you can listen to your favorite speakers, your favorite teachers, your favorite news or your favorite whatever at any time you want. Well, I'm Laurie Westlake, and as I said, it is a joy to be with you. And my heart is just so blessed that even one person listens, but we have more than that. And and it's not about the numbers, don't get me wrong, but it's about the reassurance or the confirmation from the Lord that that he's using you. And and certainly numbers don't make a difference there either. But it is nice to know that he is giving you a message or he's giving you a word or he's giving you something to communicate, a testimony. He's given each of us a testimony. And we are to glorify him through those. And if you're going to speak it, you want someone to be listening. So that's my little the my little talk about that, but the numbers, the numbers do not matter and we're actually going to kind of look at that today. I um have been in 1 Samuel and I wrote about this in the Take the Hill uh, Facebook private group. I wrote about it, but it was a lot of information to try to do in three or four paragraphs because we try to keep those posts really short so that people can digest them quickly. And so I decided we needed to dive in a little deeper, and I could do that in a podcast format. So um, here we go. I, I'm going to start talking about this particular topic of the numbers don't matter, the heart matters. The amount of effort doesn't matter. The heart matters. And here's how I'm going to start. It may sound kind of funny to start here, but I'm going to start with some verses that I have avoided in my past life. Oh, these verses made me so uncomfortable. And then after I finally got comfortable enough to read them and go, I probably need to do this. I need to do this, but I can't. It's not, it's not who I am, but I knew I needed an all of scripture is breathed by God. And I want every one of his breaths to be in me. Don't you? Because it's his breath that is in our lungs. And I want to know that if he breathed out a truth, I want that inside of me. Because I was 
created for his glory. And the way that I bring him glory is that I mirror him. And that's why I'm made in his image. And that's why you are made in his image. So we can mirror him to a scary, dying, crazy, out of control, way off in the land of lies world. So here's that scriptures or those scriptures that I've rolled my eyes at in the past because I knew I could never attain it. But actually, we we can attain what I'm about to read because we are made in his image and he is love. God is love. The definition of God is love. And here is the definition of love. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And I'm, I'm going to stop there because um, usually I can't get past the love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy because I'm like, well, I'm a loser. Just those first three love is. I'm a loser, and I usually don't go any further. And But at verse 5 is kind of where we're going to tie in today. Verse 5 says, love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, and love is not easily angered, nor does it keep records of wrongs. So... How did I get that out of 1 Samuel? Well, I'm going to tell you just a little bit. This is in 1 Samuel. I just love King David. I I identify with him, and I think we all can, because he's a man after God's own heart. And I think that that's where we all want to be. We all want to be considered that. We all want to stand before the Lord and have this crowd of angels around us, you know, going, hey, Yay, Sally. Yay, Lisa. Woohoo, high fives. You were a woman after God's own heart. And so David, we are told, was that, but we also know, because his story is in all these pages of the Old Testament, much of it. We are told that, you know, he was a human with sin. And speaking of all of these pages and chapters about David, I'm sure I'm glad nobody's documenting my failures and putting them in a book. I mean, oh my goodness. Again, David m- must have this enormous element of love to for God to have been able to say, you're after my heart and I'm going to tell everybody the truth. And speaking of that, This is another reason that we have to humble ourselves. And this is when testimonies get powerful. When we admit our wrongs, we admit our weaknesses, then that actually points to the Lord when great miracles of God happen. Because Lord knows it's not going to happen in me. And I I just see this as being so important that we all get out of the ideas we want to prove or show ourselves to other church members or the body of Christ how accomplished or great we are, and we get to the nitty-gritty of who we really are 
And then that's when God gets the glory. But in this story that I'm going to talk about today, this story of David, it's during the times that he was the wild king out there in exile. And Saul was coming for him. You know that the time when David was gathering up these men, and he was actually living in the area of the Philistines, and he was doing some not-so-great things. He was performing raids not on behalf of Israel, because the king of Israel was coming after him, but he was uh, doing raids to take care of his men. And at this story, at this time, in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, David has accumulated 600 men that follow him. And they have been granted some geography, by a high-ranking Philistine and told that they can live in a city because David's like, we got to have places we've accumulated wives. Some of us have had children. We've got some livestock. We've got to have a settlement. So he's kind of granted this city, and this is where David and his men live. Now, they are out on one of their raids, and while they are gone, an enemy comes in and raids David's town and takes all the women that that are married to the men and the daughters and the sons of the men, the 600 men. And this also included David's two wives at the time. I think he ended up with eight. I don't know. That's a podcast for another time. But at this point, he just has two. And just as two, I can't believe I just said that. At this point, he is he is in sin with a second wife, but he's got he's got two of them, and he's got uh, a child. And the raiders take all these people captive, and they take everything, and they head for the hills with their booty. And so, um, David comes back. They find from raiding. And he finds what's happened. And, of course, he's furious. And he does some recon. He finds a man uh, who is was sick, who was in the raiding bad guys. And he's been left sick. And David comes across him. And this guy says, if you don't kill me, I'll show you where the raiding party is. And you can go get all your stuff. Now... These 600 men are with David, but we're told here in the scriptures that 200 of them were um, exhausted, exhausted from the, the raiding and just the constant fighting. And so David needs to go get all these women and children and livestock back and some of these 200 men that are really tired are their their wives and children were captured as well so david says to the 200 men you stay back you rest we'll take these 400 and we are going to go and get our people back and so david takes the 400 they find uh where the raiding party had camped out, they got all of the women, all of the children, the livestock, plus the goodies 
the goodies that belong to the bad guys. I'm saying bad guys because I'm so afraid I'm going to butcher the word Amalekites. I don't know. I've got, I should have Googled that and listened to it. But anyway, we'll just call them the bad guys. But David, we're told in verse uh, 19 that David brought back all. All is in everything. And he also captured additional flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him, uh, singing, this is David's spoil. Now, when he's coming back to his own camp, the 200 men who were not left behind, but stayed behind to rest, these men come out and join I mean, they're excited. They see them coming back with their wives, their children. Can you imagine? They're running out, hugging their kids and looking at this additional livestock. And they're probably going, wow, this is so great. And they went out, we're told, and met David and the men. But then, now this is where it gets really interesting. Because the narration here describes the 400 men, the ones who had done the fighting, who had done the rescuing, who had captured the additional livestock and wealth. These men in this next verse are called wicked and worthless because some of them complained that David wanted to share the spoils with Everyone, even the 200 who had been too exhausted to fight. And this is verse 22, and it says, The the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his own wife and children, but he must depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Now, when I read that, I was like, oh, this sounds super familiar to me. The whole weight. Just because you're the one that did the work doesn't mean you get the full spoil. And so I go, I went to the parable in Matthew um, 20. And this is the parable of the vintner who owned a vineyard and hired day laborers to work in the vineyard. And in the early morning, he brought in the day laborers and, um, he got them to work, and then we're told later in the morning, in the third hour, he went back into town. There were other laborers standing around, not doing anything. He said, come, come and help me work. And then he went back into the marketplace later, and he, he said, um, he asked these laborers, additional laborers who were standing there, he said, why, why are you standing here idle? And they said, because no one has given us work. That's that's an important key. They said, because no one has given us work. They said, because we have not been chosen by the world's standards to work in your vin- to work in their vineyards. And then the vintner, the 
vineyard owner said to them, will you go into the vineyard and you work as well? And then at the end of the day, he called his COO, no, not his COO, his CFO, excuse me, called his CFO in and said, pay everyone and pay them the same wage. Well, the guys who had been working all day got angry about that and shouted, this is not fair. We've been working all day, and yet you give us, you give these new workers who've only been here an hour the same wage as we are getting. And the the vintner says, and I'm going to be reading from verses 11 through 16, he says, and on, this is talking about the men. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But the master replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a did you not agree with me to receive only a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity so that the last will be first and the first will be last? So the beginning of this parable, Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples, and he says, for the kingdom is of heaven is like. So this whole vineyard story of day laborers and the amount of time, the, amount, the number of hours that they spend in the vineyard is has nothing to do with the amount of pay that they receive. And again, what we are to learn from this is that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like, no matter when you come in, it is not determined, your reward is not determined on the amount of time, hours, or success of your labors for the Lord, your faith in action, we will all receive a just and generous reward. And you see, back in David's time when David is running with these 600 men and this whole scandalous um, abduction happens, And David allows 200 of his men to not take part so that they can rest. And then the 400 grumble. He is, he's a foreshadow of this parable that Christ is telling us because it does not matter that they were not at that particular raid. Their heart is proven and shown when they come out to greet the band of warriors, the 400 coming back, they're rejoicing with them. They're not, they're not grumbling saying, Oh, those guys are going to be so proud because they went and did all this. And we're going to, we're going to be, boy, we're going to be listening to them talk for six months about how we didn't do anything. No, they go out and they're rejoicing with them. That shows that their heart, that they are all one. We are all one body. We are one body of Christ. 
And we are not working to earn approval or rewards. We are working for God's glory. And this brings me back to the First Corinthians love chapter. That love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. But here's where this is applicable. In verse 5, it does not dishonor others. You see... Those, the grumblers in the party of 400 men, they dishonored the 200 men by saying they didn't deserve the spoil. And the laborers in the field that had labored all day, they dishonored the newbies that came along, the new converts, the new people that have entered the kingdom. They despised them because they are the ones that had been working in the vineyard for the Lord all those years. And they, it's, they see it as a works. They see heaven as a as a works economy, and it isn't. God's value system, heaven's value system is love. And if we wonder what that is, well, I'll say it again. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And it is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrong. Whew. Listen, I'm going to be completely honest with you and tell you if I had been working in a vineyard all day long, in the heat, picking grapes, probably eating a few, I, I probably would be rather upset for the people that show up for an hour and we all get the same pay. But that's not heaven. In heaven's value system, we all get a reward because we are chosen to be there. That's what we are. That's the point, is that you're in the vineyard, that you're there, you're in heaven. The point is not how long you served on earth or in that ministry or with that sick person or with that that husband that defiles you or dishonors you. What matters is that you're there. And that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, I am in some deep waters. I hope you're swimming around with me and we're keeping our heads above. I'm just barely keeping my heads above the waves. But um, I think there's something here for us to ponder, and I hope you will ponder it. I promised you that I was going to tell you about my new job really, really quick. And I'll go into uh, depth after my trip to South Africa, where I learned more about it. I'm going this summer, which, which is where our headquarters are. I am working for the Word for the World, which is a ministry that translates the Bible. As you all know, my husband and I have been in translation ministries, um, be it audio, oral, or written for 20-something years with some breaks in there. But that's how important I feel that God's Word is. If God's Word is speaking to you and changing you and getting you ready for this economy of love, then everyone on earth needs to have that same opportunity to pick up a Bible and read it, or if they're oral, and listen to it. 
not from your mouth, but from God's Word. And so more about it. I'm very excited about it. Great Commission work is is really um, increasing, multiplying. And for the first time in history, some of the world's greatest Christian ministries and businessmen, and I say that in the context of God-seeking greatest, have determined that we might be able to fill the Great Commission in 10 years. And you all know that in Matthew 24, Jesus said, And my words will go to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Not the end doom and gloom. The end. Love rules. All righty. That's all I have today, and it's a lot. But I hope you have a blessed rest of your time, and we will talk in a week. Please be blessed. No, I'm praying for you. Love you all.